Friend, please help Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry by supporting the cost to produce Spirit-Filled Radio and Podcast for this current fiscal year. You can become a partner with Spirit-Filled Hearts by donating monthly. Your contributions make a difference in the lives of all those who listen to our radio shows and podcasts. Thank you for your support. Go to spiritfilledhearts.org and click on the donate button. That's spiritfilledhearts.org. Welcome to the 11th week of the I Thirst follow-up. Today we are speaking about the church fathers. And here we see that we spoke about the deposit of the faith, which was all of the public revelation, the truth that Jesus gave to us in order to be saved. We need to accept this deposit of the faith. We can't just say, oh, I want this and this and this, and the deposit of faith becomes a piece of cheese with holes in it. And then here we just pick and choose what we want, right? Here we take the whole thing. We take the whole deposit of the faith and we have to say, I accept everything that Jesus publicly revealed and handed down to the apostles all the way down to my present age. I accept everything that Jesus taught as truth, and that's the way that you get into heaven. Everybody has to do that in some way. And so here this deposit of the faith was handed down carefully by each subsequent generation. And so the first generations of Holy Mother Church are, of course, very important. It is the time where we have the Holy Spirit really helping and Our Lady is there and she is forming everything to make sure everything is passed down in a very powerful way. It's super strong at the beginning of the church, as we see with the Acts of the Apostles. And so with the Apostles, they're receiving the deposit of the faith and then they give it to the next generation, the immediate generation. These are called the Apostolic Fathers. And so it's kind of confusing because it has the word apostle in there. But basically, the apostolic fathers is the generation right after the apostles. They know the apostles. They had relationships and friendships and prayer with St. Peter, with St. John. And this generation, you can only imagine, these are the people who are talking to St. Peter and they're knowing that he's going to die. And they're talking to St. John, the beloved disciple, who leaned his head against the heart of Jesus at the Last Supper. You know, that's the next generation. And so you can see that their love of the faith is going to just be out of this world, out of this you know, just universe, and it's just going to be so huge. And they're in this direct contact with these magnificent 12 apostles who shaped the entire history of the world. Of course, here we see the apostles are amazing themselves, and then the next generation is also going to be just beautiful. Obviously a step down, but still huge and amazing. And so, for example, you have the very famous apostolic fathers, who are the disciples, for example, of St. John. And so the apostolic fathers of St. Irenaeus, and then we have St. Polycarp. St. Polycarp and St. Irenaeus were disciples of St. John, and you can only imagine how they imbibed everything from St. John, how they just took in his spirit, and they just really just sucked 
everything that they could out because they wanted to know Jesus. They wanted to know Mary as best as they could. And these were the sources that were there at their time. And so they just wanted to know everything. You know, just imagine, you know, like this little child just asking everything about everything to their parents. You know, what about this? What was it like to be like this? Or what was it like to be with Jesus? What did he look like? What did he do? How did his voice sound? All those, those different things. And so here, this amazing next generation was just filled with great love. And as you see, they were just basically all martyrs too. And so here with the very famous martyrdom of St. Polycarp is really beautiful to read. He, anybody can read it. It's not difficult to read. And you can see, like, for example, when they were going to martyr him, they burn, they were trying to burn him alive, basically. And here, the smell that came from his body was kind of like um, just it was beautiful it was like very fragrant and you know they they kind of saw his body as a beautiful piece of baked bread you know and so it was Eucharistic there and there was no bad smell usually if there's you know a burning of a body it's gonna not smell good but here when they were burning his body there was this flame that was just kind of billowing around him it was just supernatural and the flames of course or warming everything up and there was this beautiful smell like maybe like almost like baked bread you know baked bread smells really good so this beautiful aroma was coming forth and the fire wasn't killing him you know and so they basically had to you know just you know deal with him another way and so here we see that the martyrdom of the apostolic fathers uh, is so powerful because they were again influenced by the apostles and so their teaching also is so beautiful because here they're using all of their best language from philosophy and theology and they're using it in order to describe the mysteries of the trinity and the incarnation and the salvation of mankind how jesus died on the cross and how god helps us through grace they're describing all of these realities in the most beautiful language and this comes to the next point which is the apostolic fathers you know obviously it was amazing to get all that information from the first-hand witnesses of the apostles. But these apostolic fathers, they were really learned. And this is something where we usually have a big prejudice against everything in the past. This is a bad modern habit where we think, it's in the past, it's outdated, you know, so we have like iPhones, you know, the outdated iPhones are bad. So, you know, we want always the newest, best thing. And we really kind of transfer that to a lot of what we think and so usually we have a very low opinion of you know the past and you know we think that you know oh those people in the past they were just like dirty they didn't take showers they had no toilets and you know antiseptic stuff and whatever you know it's true we do have some nice amenities but here you know the people of the past you know they really knew how to live life beautifully also you know there's one thing for example in the medieval ages you know people were like saying so dark there and people were just like you know just so messy that's why the bubonic plague came etc and 
you know, here actually, if we look at the accounts of medieval making of soap and medieval ways of cleansing themselves, they actually did it very often, you know. And so, for example, like the Japanese people, you know, they were known for their cleanliness. And then when the Westerners came, they were like, who are these people? They smell awful, you know. And, you know, they, but the Japanese people, they were just like always. Clean, you know, because they were really cleanly about their body, and the you know Westerners are supposed to be more advanced, etc. You know, so we got to break through all these different molds and really see that, for example, the making of soap. There was a huge art of making soap. We only kind of like came back to making soap in the you know just you know this handmade kind of culture that has come back in the modern stuff. But here we have, for example, the medieval people. They really, really knew how to do these things. And so here we got to drop the whole prejudice of the past is, you know, um, just awful. Really, the past is a blast. <laughs> and so we have to remember that it's just amazing, these traditions that people had, the way that they made, um, you know, just things from scratch and how they would make amazing churches. Nobody can make churches like they did before. That's a sign that these people were brilliant. You know, they were humble and brilliant and you know, sure, they didn't have toilets and amenities like we do, you know, but still, I mean, we could never make St. You know, um, Peter's Basilica, or we couldn't make, you know, Notre Dame or, you know, all these amazing places. And it just shows that they were advanced, you know, in this way, you know, it, and they could harness nature in a way that really we've taken for granted because we've become so consumeristic. So education is like that, right? We think that we're so advanced, you know, because we just know everything about whatever, you know, with technology, etc. But really, we are really stupid in the most important things. We're the most stupid in philosophy and theology. And, you know, everybody can know everything about technology and computers and even like space and stuff like that. But to really have a solid education, knowing how to speak clearly, how to read a book, how to critically think about what somebody's saying and look at their argument, nobody really can do that anymore. And this is the problem with education today. And these men, when they read and when they wrote and when they spoke, their level of education was just out of this world and it just skyrocketed you know it's just we cannot imagine what homilies were like before then usually you know i'm bad you know sometimes i just don't have time to prepare for the homily and so i just speak off the cuff etc and you know it's not a prepared homily but you know it kind of gets through you know just because you don't have time etc and you know these men when they went through their homilies they would write it out in beautiful Latin and make sure that everything was just so beautiful because this is a time they saw as really precious and it had to be so polished. They wrote it out and then they memorized it so that they wouldn't use the text and they would have every motion, you know, and look at different places in order to engage people and they would memorize the entire homily and it would, that takes time to do. And, you know, some of these homilies were really long too. So hour or two hours or three hours and their minds were so powerful. Their memories were just phenomenal back then because now we just depend on GPS and the phone to do everything for us and so it just dumbs down our memory but these people you know they didn't have any of that stuff so they had to practice their memory as a muscle right we have to remember the memory as a muscle and so 
these people, they really practiced their memory and they could memorize, you know, all of St. Matthew's Gospel. You know, these people, these apostolic fathers, they memorized all of St. Paul's letters. They memorized all the Psalms. They could just say them out, you know, from their heart. And we are just constantly looking on our phones and that's all that we can do. We can't even memorize anything anymore because what is their need for that? And so here are these people, they'd memorize everything. But the amazing thing is that then they could memorize what they read because books were so precious. Then they could connect them. You know, as they sit in your memory, then these different points can meld together. And then you could come up with an even more beautiful conclusion later on. And so that's just to really give you a sense of the expanse of the mind of these apostolic fathers you know they had the faith from our lord but then also they studied hard they studied latin and greek and they studied every discipline every geometry math etc they studied the stars they studied everything created because they saw everything as leading to god and so that's the idea that we should have for example saint Irenaeus, right he is a student of saint john the apostle and then he wrote this whole book on how to destroy every heresy it's like his mind is like seeing every heresy the weaknesses of it what it doesn't look um, at you know that it's not based on the correct facts or whatever and then he just has this entire book comprehensive because he does not want anything to do with heresy and so he's just gonna just destroy them all by these beautiful arguments using every discipline of knowledge possible in order to show the beauty of the faith and so really the apostolic fathers, you know, when we had serious education, especially in upper level education, you know, people would go into a degree for patristics. And so they would study the works of the fathers and they would really see them and just constantly be mulling over the insights that they had. And so you have apostolic fathers, and then afterwards you will have the fathers of the church. So it goes like this, apostles, apostolic fathers, and then fathers of the church. And so apostolic fathers, again, are the generation right after the apostles. And then after that, we have the fathers of the church. And the fathers of the church really even here, these are the famous ones that we know usually, like, for example, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, and here, the Apostolic Fathers, they're amazing in their intellect, but their language begins to get even more refined and more precise. And so, for example, St. Augustine, his mind is just magnificent, and he begins to describe grace in a way that none of the Apostolic Fathers could describe in their language. They obviously believed in everything the same because of the same deposit of the faith, but the uh, fathers of the church, they now, having read, this is what they studied. They studied all the apostolic fathers. You know, they read all of this stuff and they mold over it and then continuously molding over it, then they developed an even more beautiful way to express the deposit of the faith. And so you have St. Augustine, St. Jerome, the most amazing commentators on the Bible that we could ever have. And so here, when we really think of how to read the Bible, we have to read them like the fathers of the church. And that's the whole key. That's why the apostolic fathers and the fathers of the church, or you can just say the church fathers, right? That includes everybody, right? That's the way to understand the Bible. That's the way to understand the faith. And really, this is what the height of 
scholasticism that is the height of St. Thomas and the most beautiful way to formulate all of the truths of our faith that came in the Middle Ages with St. Thomas Aquinas. What St. Thomas Aquinas and all of the saints who were studying in the most amazing universities, the Sorbonne in Paris or Salamanca in Spain, these are the premier universities. All of the saints who went to these universities and all of the priests and monks, etc., what are they doing in those universities? They're all studying the church fathers. That's that's what they're doing. And they're writing commentaries on what they're saying. They're looking at their way of looking at sacred scripture and they're just seeing their wisdom. And then they're putting it in a beautiful order. So basically what St. Thomas does is the Summa Theologica, the summary of all theology, is looking at the church fathers and really putting them in a systematic order. And so the church fathers, they had to you know, stamp out this Trinitarian heresy, and they had to stamp out this heresy about uh, Monophysites, and they had to you know, stamp out this heresy about the Docetists and the Pelagians. And they were just trying to put out all these different fires, and they did it beautifully with a lot of learning. But here, all their efforts were kind of just a little bit, uh, in a sense, reactionary to the heresies that were at that time because they needed to just get it, you know, destroy those heresies so that the truth of the faith could be protected and the truth of the faith could be just beautiful in all its splendor. And so with St. Thomas, what he does is he takes all of the different works of the fathers and he sums them up all together and then clarifies the language and any discrepancies he works through and then he produces the beautiful Summa Theologica. And then you have what are called the doctors of the church afterwards. And so the doctors of the church, what they really do is they're looking at the fathers of the church and then clearly putting them in order and refining the language using the latest uh, philosophy at that time which there is not really latest, but you know, they use the best philosophy, which would be Aristotle. Um, and then here, then they use it to describe the Eucharist as transubstantiation, which is the exact language that we use today. And again, nobody is ever gonna surpass it. And I'll give you $5 trillion if you can. And so here, um, we see that the doctors of the church then, their whole thing is dealing with the fathers of the church. And so that really gives you a perspective of how important the fathers of the church were. Their whole life was looking for the truth of Christ and trying to put it in the most beautiful and clear way possible. Not only a clear way, but in a way that really makes the truth glorious and shine forth. You know, because you can tell the truth in a way that is kind of like bland, it's just like this, 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 this. But the truth in itself is so brilliant and marvelous. And the fathers of the church were really big on making sure that the truth was received in a powerful, beautiful way by everybody. And so here, the glory of the fathers of the church, for example, you're going to have St. John Chrysostom. He was called the golden-mouthed one. And, you know, people would just listen to him for hours on end because of his 
glorious commentaries on scripture, how he would rail against, you know, the empress for, you know, the corruption of the government. It's kind of interesting here. And then you would have all these different uh, fathers of the church who would speak so powerfully and so beautifully and in such a way that uh, people were brought to the truth of the faith. And so, for example, you have St. Justin Martyr. He was very early and from his writings, and he was really trying to convert a Jew uh, named Trifo. And he wrote down his kind of musings and conversations. And against Trifo, Trifo's a Jew, and so he doesn't believe in the Eucharist, right? And so St. Justin Martyr, right from the beginning, and this is like super early, you know, in the church, not even the year 200 yet. And he is saying that this is the true flesh of Jesus, not a symbol. And you can really see from the fathers of the church that we have the same faith as they do. It's been passed down so carefully and right from Christ. And they are really a powerful proof, especially against the Protestants, because the Protestants are saying, no, we are the original church, you know, not the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was, you know, uh, some kind of conglomeration of what happened with the popes, etc. And then it was a creation that came out of the Middle Ages or something like that, you know. But here it's not true at all. The Catholic Church, of course, always had a pope, that is St. Peter, and then we have all of the popes after them, after him. And then here we see that the faith that we have clearly states, for example, the real presence right from the fathers of the church who were just a couple generations away from Jesus. And they believed in the Eucharist. You know, they believed in confession. You know, how can the Protestants just cast away confession when the fathers of the church write pretty much at the beginning of the church's history, this is the real church, right? Talk about confession and they talk about um, infant baptism. When they talk about the Eucharist, you know, the Baptists, for example, there's some of them that will only baptize adults. But actually, you can see very clearly from the tradition of the church already from the beginning, they were already baptizing babies, and so here we see all of these amazing things about the history of the church that really if you study the church fathers, you will become Catholic because you will see in them the purity of the Catholic faith. And it's the same faith that we have. And indeed, reading the fathers of the church is hard. It is something that takes humility, and we really have to break down our pride and realize that, okay, if I can't understand it, I'll just have to try again and read it, you know, and maybe ask for some help, ask for a priest to help, but it's very much worth reading. For example, reading St. Augustine, it's hard, but it is worth every single sweat and blood that comes out. It's so worthwhile to see how these men describe the truth. And it's not going to be reading like Harry Potter or, you know, it's not going to be reading some kind of like easy to read um, novel. It's not like just turning pages very easily, but you have to really meditate upon what they're saying and you really have to dig deeply. It takes work to study. And so this is what happens, why people don't even care to read the Church Fathers is because it's just so hard to read. But actually some of them are very accessible. St. Augustine at times is very accessible. Uh, we have St. Jerome very accessible at some times. And um, here St. Athanasius, you know, all of the Church Fathers, you know, if you can read 
you know, the newspaper, you can read the Church Fathers. So here there are some intros that you can look for, you know, introduction to the Church Fathers and, you know, read their life, see what they're like. And, you know, really just basically when you read them, you see that the faith is described in such a magnificent way and in a way that you realize what God did through these men. And so it's really important to study church history and then, of course, hear church fathers and really to have a deep reverence for them and everything that they've given uh, to us. And this is what God has given to us through them. And so let us ask uh, the intercession of the church fathers to help us to have humility and to study and really to pursue the truth with great patience also and realize that we're not just eating like you know instant noodles or like you know fast food you know we can't just like cram all this stuff in us this is the difficulty of the consumeristic kind of youtube mentality or the consumerist tiktok you know instagram mentality where everything is just so instant to learn something but here we have to really sit down and dig through the beauty of the treasure troves of the fathers and hear how they describe the mass hear how they describe what it was like for somebody to be baptized you know here describe what the belief in the eucharist is you know here these things take meditation and contemplation and time and perseverance and patience in order to understand or how they thought of our lady you know here if you really think about everything that we have nothing new is given to us now basically all the church fathers and the doctors of the church they really came up with everything and so anything new that we think about our lady you know it's already found out by the church fathers this is their magnanimous intellect that they have and magnanimous souls that they have and so we ask all the church fathers to intercede for us that we may love the faith that we may seek the truth with all of our heart amen If you're enjoying these podcasts, please consider supporting Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry with a one-time or monthly gift. Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We are only funded by generous donors who believe in our mission to evangelize.